Hi, everyone. Thanks again for listening to the Crucial Talks podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, I would truly appreciate it if you could subscribe to the podcast and give it a rating on whatever platform you're using. Please enjoy this episode and feel free to reach out to me at www.crucialtalks.com if you need anything. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crucial Talks podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sinan. Today, we have a really special guest, Maya Kazizik. So Maya is an internationally recognized motivational speaker, and really, she is the epitome of one thing we talk about on the podcast, and this is the power of a positive view of the future, not being focused on these deficits that may come up in life's trials, but on strengths. So welcome to the Crucial Talks podcast, Maya. I am actually really humbled to be able to talk to you because I know a little bit about your story. But what I'd like to do is maybe have you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've gone through to get to this point in your life. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. Um, I really feel honored that you invited me to your show and your podcast. So a little bit about my story. I am originally from Bosnia, and when I was 16 years old, I lived through a genocide. Uh, you may, some of the folks may remember in the early 90s, um, there was a war going on, which basically turned into genocide, where 250,000 people were killed. And during that time, my family and I um, lived in a city called Bostar, and we were surrounded by two armies, and expelled to a very small area where we lived during that period without food, water, electricity, medicine, or any kind of outside contact. So that was those were my teenage years. Wow. It puts a little bit of uh, some of the problems some of the listeners have, and I know I have, into context. Because I think, uh, as many people do, as we deal with issues, we kind of tend to shift to this negative view of ourselves, our own lives. So I guess my first question for you would be, Having having seen or having heard what you've had to deal with, how do people stay positive when they feel inside that everything around them is falling apart? Well, it's you know it's it's an interesting question. I, I always talk about that in my in my keynotes and and to the audiences because I, I always say it's easy to stay positive when your life is going well. You know, you're sitting at home with a cup of coffee. You're finally home from work, you know, on Facebook and, you know, something cute comes up and you're like, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to see positive and, and pass around those positive messages. Uh, what's really difficult is to stay positive during the time of crisis. And I think folks often find it really strange when I tell them that that genocide period during that period is actually one of my favorite, favorite times. When I think back to that period, I think of it fond- fondly. And if I could go back, I wouldn't change any of it. And that's all because it's a matter of perspective that we have on any given situation. And even though we lived with, in a genocide and during that period of time, we had no resources. I mean, we literally would need for months and we would look for food and pick any type of grasses and that we could that were edible and eat it. And during that horrific time, I had to eat my pet rabbit um, as a sacrifice for so for the whole building to eat. It was such a such a horrible, horrible time. And after all that, I still actually one day when I was hanging out with my friends, a bomb exploded killed all of my friends. I was severely injured. I had to have my leg amputated without anesthesia. And the only way to fight this infection that was my body afterwards was to basically cut the flesh off every morning, every evening, um, just to survive. Even throughout all of that stuff, I still look at that with the most positive attitude, with the happiness and glee in my eye, because during that time, I have formed some of the most amazing relationships, some of the most amazing friendships. And it is in these dire times that we realize who is a good person and he's not a good person. And at that time, when you have nothing, where you're stripped of all of your class, where all of your, it doesn't matter what color, your race, your religion, what you are, all you're doing is striving for survival, striving to, to live the next day. We all become very quickly equal. And during that time, all it's shown is your personality and how good you are. And we were bare human being helping each other out. And that's what made it so amazing and so inspiring and so educational for me to live through 
uh, to be able to look fondly 20 years later, 30 years later and be like, oh, that was really amazing time. So, Wow. Um, uh, I'm actually, this doesn't happen very often on the podcast because I kind of get to guide it, but a little bit speechless and a little bit... Um, a little bit unsure where to go next just because of what you had to go through. I mean, I cannot imagine you had to live off basically whatever you could find. I mean, having to sacrifice a pet for your whole building, you lost a leg. I mean, all of this, and you not only lost a leg, but you lost your friends at the same time. But you still were able to look at it with this positive attitude and this, this positive outs, outlook on was it was it more of an outlook on what was what was in the future or was it just having this positive outlook on what you were going through at the time well it's it was really a a combination of of the things so let's talk about the day i got injured for example this, this is going to be a really good example um it was it was just one day one afternoon it was actually in july so my anniversary is coming up it was july 15th and I was supposed to be at home eating a little bit of soup that my mom had made from these grasses that we had picked. And um, I, I walked up, I lived on a third floor, I walked upstairs and um, I went to the bathroom to go wash my hands. And we didn't have any running water. We would go down to the river and pick up water and bring it up in the buckets. And I, um, I, I came into the bathroom and as I was washing my hands, I heard some of my friends downstairs talking. So I jumped on a bathtub, looked outside the window, and I saw my friends talking. And as I was trying to yell, they couldn't really hear me. I couldn't hear them. So I decided I'm going to just go downstairs and talk to them. And on the way out, um, I saw my mom. Her back was turned to me. She was standing in a kitchen. And I remember thinking, if I ask her to go outside, she's not going to let me. But being the smartest 16-year-old and a teenager in the world, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go downstairs, I'm going to talk to my friends, I'm going to come back up, and she's not even going to know what happened, right? So I sneak out right behind her back, I go outside, I run three flights of stairs, I go up, walk up to my friends, and just literally as I sit down, all I can do is I could think, I'm choking. I could feel something in my throat, and I can't breathe, and I just don't know what's happening, and, and and I try to take a deep breath, and I say to myself, just take a deep breath. If you take a deep breath, you're going to be okay. And I put my head on my shirt, and I and I feel myself breathing. I take a breath, and I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to be okay. I don't know what's happening. All I could think of is I just need to breathe. And as I look around, me, it's almost like, it's almost like this primitive brain has taken over and didn't allow me to look up and see what has happened what what I what I was able to do is just look at my feet and I could see that they're a little bit bloody and 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 they kind of feel strange and funny and they're hurting and burning a little bit but I still don't know what's happening to me and then almost like in a little bit bigger circle I look around me and I see my friends and they're they're all dead and I'm and, I, and I'm looking at them but I'm still not grasping what's really happening to me so I look even a bigger circle and I see another one of my friends and she had just gone down to the river and got two buckets of water. And as she was standing, walking up towards us, the shrapnel has picked her up, killed her on the spot. So here she was standing dead with her eyes open, staring directly at me. And I was looking at her and, and it just your body's not prepared. Your mind is not prepared to look. And another human being standing dead looking at you. And I still don't know what's going on. So I look even the bigger circle and right across the street, about 100 feet from us, I see my brother. He's standing over there looking at us and what's happening to me. And I look at his big brown eyes. They were filled with tears. And it was almost like I got into his body and I looked through his eye what happened to me. And that was the moment I realized, oh, a rocket propelled grenade has exploded, killed all of my friends, and I was severely injured. And it was at that moment that I realized what my situation was. And 
this is the crucial moment that it would seemingly be the worst thing that happened in my life, that I could sit there and I could, I could, I could be a victim. This is the moment of decision that we all face. It's not when your life is going good that you need to stay positive. It's when you're in these kind of dire situations, when you're shaking hands with death, when your life is falling apart, this is the time to be positive. So it was this moment that I had two choices. My first choice was I can view myself as a victim. I can look at my brother who's doing exactly what I was doing 100 feet away with his friends and say, why did this happen to me? Why me? My brother's across the street doing the same thing and he didn't get injured. He didn't lose his friends. I'm a victim. Why me? Or I can take a second approach turn around and look at five dead bodies next to me and say, oh my God, I'm so lucky. I'm a hero. I'm a survivor. You see, it's exactly the same situation. The facts are exactly the same, but the only thing that's different is I am looking at exactly the same situation a different way. So that's why I always say it's your perspective that makes the situation. Whether it is a positive or negative, you are the one to, to make that choice perspective is a matter of choice and whatever your perspective is that is what you're going to end up having in living your life so that is when your life is as i think about your audience and everybody that's listening out there i know you didn't go through a war i know you didn't go through a genocide you may not be looking at five dead bodies now to you but you have your own war in your own battle that you're battling you have your own bomb that has landed in your lap and what is it what perspective are you taking on and how can you switch it to look at it so you look at it positively and that i think is a great lesson for everybody listening because one of the things we do talk about is this ability of human beings and sometimes it sounds a little a little weird when i say it but this ability of human beings to actually fabricate reality within themselves or with others. And it's all about this, what you said about perspective and that it is a matter of choice and this ability to tell ourselves stories. And what I hear you saying is, hey, look, your story can be, why me? Your story can be, I'm a victim. Your story could be, why does everything bad happen to me? Or given the same situation, your story could be, uh, why not me? how lucky am I that I went through this and lived and how, how lucky am I to have this opportunity that I could take this experience and help others? Is that kind of what I'm, what I'm hearing from you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Positivity is a matter of perspective and perspective is a matter of choice. And you're the one that chooses to decide what that story is going to be. How are you going to tell it? What you're going to say? I could have walked away uh, from that experience being the victim and, and, and with why me attitude, um, or I decided not to. I felt grateful that here I was. I was so lucky. I have five dead bodies to prove that I was amazingly lucky. And not only that, but it actually spun into something even better. I had a purpose now. In order to, to basically justify my life and my survival, why why did I survive and not, not these other two, five kids that were with me, especially because I was the closest to the bomb. And they were all hiding behind the wall. By all laws of physics, I really should have been killed too. But I didn't. So not only did I survive and and did I try to look at it positively, but I wanted to make sure that my survival was actually worth it. You After my injury, because we had no medications, I was taken to this makeshift hospital. And the only way to fight the infection was cut the flesh off every morning, every evening, and it would last for a few hours. And the only thing for pain I had was this little blue teddy bear that I would bite on. A few days later, they told me they had to amputate my leg. I was told that I would be asleep, but what I realized very quickly was that they had no anesthesia and I was awake for the whole thing. Um, short, about a month of that suffering in this makeshift hospital, this lady shows up at my bedside and she says to me, hey, I got a permission to rescue three children. You're one of the kids. If you want to leave, we're leaving in 20 minutes. 
Now, by this point, my father was injured. I could, he couldn't come with me. My mother couldn't come with me. She had to take care of my father who was injured and my brother. Um, so I left leaving everything that I've loved and known behind me. Going with the stranger, I had no idea what was happening. But she took me to this army hospital. Uh, from there, we went to Germany. I was there receiving medical treatment for a few months. And from there, I ended up in the United States getting also medical treatment. I, op- I had over 100 surgeries, and I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people help me. So in order for me to, to make this life worth living and life worth saving, when so many people have invested into me, I had to do something big with it. I had to do something good with it. Otherwise, what would I be doing? Wilting away somewhere in the basement? To me, that was not a choice. And we all have those choices. We all have people who have helped us along the way. We, ha- we all have reasons to survive and do better and be better. And we need to hang on to those people. We need to hang on to them and do it not just for us, but also for them. Well, and that brings up another wonderful point. I mean, I see so many great things in what you're saying that you said it, you talked about we all have people who have helped us and we all have reasons that we need to go on and, and do good things. And earlier you talked about the fact that during all this, you learned about relationships. You learned about, hey, even though I have nothing, I have these relationships and I have these people that I count on, that count on me, and that we're all human beings that help each other out. So a couple of the the tenets we talk about here on the podcast is the fact that, yes, you need purpose. You need this goal. You need this this feeling of esteem to make yourself better and to keep going and to to have motivation, but that we also need each other. Um, what I'd like to ask you is, what are your feelings about about relationships, about how important they are to what we do every day? It doesn't matter what our job is or, or where we work or how much education we have, but how do relationships either help us or maybe even hurt us when we're trying to do these good things you're talking about, we're trying to look forward? That's a very, very interesting question, Mike. Um, so it, it's um, relationships are definitely crucial part of human development. And unfortunately, I think a lot of issues that we have today in society is due to lack of relationships that, uh, that, that have not developed in a proper way or at all or um, are supported in, that, in, in the environment they should be, especially in the younger children which kind of makes us almost semi-functional adults as a result. Um, During the time, during the genocide in Bosnia, we had nothing but, we were 60,000 civilians stuck with literally nothing, no resources. We had no outside contact. So it was up to us to survive. And it it, it taught us very quickly um, how to differentiate between people who are selfish and those who are not. And also it became very apparent that being selfish is not a way to live. It's not a way to survive. If you, if you talk about, let's just say that one of the biggest sacrifices I had to make was my pet Bugsy. Um, it, was, it was named after Bugs Bunny. Um, he, you know, he was a sacrifice that I made and, and hid from my parents because I knew we were all starving. And I had this this rabbit, and I knew that rabbits are food in, in, in a lot of places. And, and I knew what I had to do, even though I was 16, I knew I had to make this hard decision. So I went, I knew my parents will also never approve of it. So I went from a friend to a friend to a friend and, and said, hey, would you be willing to, you know, clean him up and get him ready for, for to be preparing for food? And and as a result, I gave him a head and part of the meat so he can share with his family and so on. And, and the rest I took home. I mean, my family and I could have hid that meat and ate it among ourselves and not shared with anybody. But instead, what we did is we gave it to everybody and shared it with everyone because working together is so much more successful uh, when you put your resources and mind together, it's so much, so much more effective, so much more beneficial. But more beyond that, it's really so much more fulfilling 
that it makes you feel like a human being. And I really think we need those relationships in our lives for survival. We're, I don't think we're meant to be solitary. We need it, whether it's business, whether it's personal, whether it's family, we need those relationships. I think we're dependent on them. Absolutely. And I will tell you that you are 100% correct because most of the people listening to this podcast have heard me say so many times that we are social animals. In fact, we're probably the most social animal on the planet, which means that we do need each other. Uh, we need each other to, like you said, to survive, to thrive. Everything that's kind of good with human beings uh, is good because we can do things together. And so I, I, I hear all of this um, – you know, we're hearing all this, these negative things that have happened to you, but what what I would like to do is transition to, to how much positivity you bring to the people you talk to, the organizations you work with, and I'm hoping you might be able to give us a couple of tips or even tools to use or thought processes on how do we as human beings, how do we deal with the negative feelings that come when we feel like we've failed? or that we can't move forward, that nothing will, will get better. Do you have any tools people can use when they, when they feel themselves kind of going down that path of negativity? Sure. Um, there are definitely a few things. I think the, the, biggest, the biggest mistake that a lot of people make is that they, they, they differentiate and they separate feelings into good and bad feelings. So somehow we have these negative feelings and they're supposed to be bad. Um, I think that's a that's one of the biggest mistakes that we made. I grew up in a family where feeling anything was okay. Feeling to feel is human. So don't punish yourself for being angry, for being disappointed, for being sad, for being obsessed, for being afraid, for everything. To feel is to be human. So the first thing I think is that we have to separate ourselves from thinking there are such things as good feelings and bad feelings. All feelings are good. Some may be negative in terms of, oh, well, I don't like it when I feel sad. Nobody does. But it's a good feeling because we have to, we have to feel sad. We have to cry. It all has its own purpose. If everything was good in our life, we would never appreciate anything good because it would be the norm. Does that make sense? It totally does. And it, it kind of reminds me of what you said earlier, that it's based on our perspective. That you're going to have feelings, whether they're good Absolutely. or bad or however we label them, but it's still about your perspective, not only your perspective on the situation you're in, and, and correct me if I'm wrong in the, what I'm hearing from you, but also the perspective you have on what's going on inside of you. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct, Mike. So the first thing is to acknowledge the fact that no matter what feeling we have, it's okay. What a lot of people are missing is how to deal with those feelings. That's where the problem is. It's not that you're having them. It's actually how to deal with them. So if you are down on yourself for, for feeling that maybe something is not going your way or you're afraid of something or you just lost a really big business deal or maybe some really good employee, something is happening and you're down, uh, you have to recognize that it's okay that down but you have to learn how to deal with it and the way to deal with it is you know it's going to depend obviously on a situation but you have to for me personally and what I recommend for everyone that I work with to do is that you the best way to do it is to figure out a solution out of it okay so um, you have to first recognize that it's okay to have good feelings no matter what they are every feeling is good if you need to cry cry about it Okay, give yourself some time to grieve, cry, be afraid, be angry. I have a, I have, you know, depending how I feel, I either go play golf or I play tennis. If I'm really angry, I'm on a tennis court, you know. <laughs> if, I, if I'm just upset, I, I go hit some golf balls, in a, you know, in a driving range. So, so we have our own. If I'm feeling really good and I close a really nice deal, I go windsurfing, okay. So I go and I find ways to get those emotions out and to feel, and I don't make myself feel bad about it. If I'm upset and angry, I have the right to be, and that's okay, right? So that's the first step. Once you do that, once I'm finished with being angry and I get those emotions out, because no matter what problem we're solving, we want to try to stay objective. So first, get rid of the emotions. Get it out in some way. No, don't beat on your wife or your husband or your kids. 
at the tennis tennis ball or to something, hit the ball, throw a football, scream. It doesn't matter what it is. Do it, but get it out. Once you get it out, then we, you can say, be objective and say, all right, what do I need to fix this problem? And the second tip that I have is that when you're solving problems, it's, it, this is thing that, that has really, it's been one of my favorite things that I figured out in life. And that is that every problem, I believe that every problem, the moment the problem has been created, at exact same time, the universe has created a solution for that problem. And you, as the person, it's your job to find that solution. It exists. It's just up to you to find it. So I take it on as a game. And I say, okay, this is my problem. I need a solution. And how do I find it? How do I get there? What are the steps? And then I just walk myself through it very objectively, how to get there, how to resolve the situation. And then I go execute the steps. So it kind of becomes very easy, allows me to be a human and deal with the emotions. But also, once the emotions are done, you still have the problem. You've got to solve it. So you need some tool to actually help people get through it and solve the problem itself. Great. So basically what I'm hearing is, hey, look, we're humans. Humans have feelings. Humans make decisions on feelings. These feelings are going to happen, and that's okay. But I also love what you said next. And even though you hear it a ton of times, you don't hear it quite like you have said it, which is, hey, find the problem, identify the problem, and here are steps you can take to find a solution. You know, you hear those kind of things, those those skill sets or those task lists on how people can deal with, with problems, but you don't really hear it in the same way you said it, which is basically, again, I keep going back to this perception that you have and the perception people can take on. You're basically saying, look, when something faces you, and it's an obstacle. It's a problem. If you think to yourself, hey, look, every problem that's created, the universe also creates a solution to it. You just got to go find it. It's, it comes back to me is, is looking at something not from this negative view, but again, from a positive view. You now have a game to play. You know how Absolutely. you now have a challenge to overcome. And not a challenge that you can look at negatively, but a challenge that gives you purpose. Absolutely. That is, uh, I, that's great advice, I think. I think it's, it's dealing with something that everybody has to deal with, but you have just presented it in a way that's a little bit different that lets people look at it differently. It lets them change their perspective, change the lens they use to look at issues they're dealing with. Absolutely. I mean, the, the life at the end of the day, we, we have one life to live. So it's, uh, it's, it's what you make of it. We all have crap happening in our lives. I don't care who you are. I don't care your class, religion, how much money you have, what your job is. We all have problems. We all have obstacles. And it's up to us to decide what we're going to do with it. And it turns, if you take it on as a game, I mean, gaming is huge in, in today's world. Everybody gets on Xboxes and Nintendos and plays a game. And what's fascinating is, is that people go on to the games and they know they can beat it. No matter how challenging it is, they are going into that game with with the knowledge that I have tools. They're hidden somewhere, but I have tools that I have to find and work up to and so on in order to beat this game. To me, life is just like that. Okay, You can beat it. You can get to happiness. You can live whatever life you want, but you have to play the game. You have to figure out where are the tools what are the tools that I'm going to use, how I'm going to use it, work up to them, overcome the obstacles, and eventually beat the game. So this, this uh, discussion on obstacles, and I know, so one of, your, one of your keynotes is basically, hey, how do, you, how do you deal with things? How do you have this positive perspective? The other keynote you, you give is about overcoming obstacles. And in that, I mean, in that, presentation again correct me if i'm wrong uh you talk about how you you left bosnia you had three things and nothing that we would consider of major value today right you a t-shirt a rock and your teddy bear you talked about but then you found a way that you finished college you started your own company you became uh what people would consider successful quote unquote so going through all that what have you what have you learned or what can you teach us about overcoming these these obstacles 
Because I don't think any of us have gone through what you've gone through, not even close, right? Our problems seem, in my opinion, my own problems seem microscopic compared to what you went through. But that makes it so valuable being able to talk to you on how do we overcome these obstacles that we that we come across. Well, so when you um, when you're going through anything in life, if you if you look at my life, I mean, I did come to when I left, I literally had a T-shirt that I was wearing. Um, I, I was only in, in the underwear because due to my injuries, I had a rock, which was a memento from home that reminded me of everything that I've left. And, and I had that teddy bear that I used to bite on for pain. So it was literally nothing. So the, the, the first thing is I had the obstacles of survival. I had one of the biggest obstacle for me. I, I was, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a professional athlete. And I knew that when I grew up, I was going to play tennis and I was going to be a professional athlete. And that's all I ever wanted to do. All I knew was sports. So when I lost my leg, I really wanted to run. And I, and I wanted to give back to my athletic lifestyle. So if you look at that, that seems like a really huge obstacle. Um, when I got my first prosthetic leg... They came to the hospital, they put the leg on, and they said, all right, go ahead and walk. And I remember thinking in my head, well, I could see myself in my head. Like, I mean, when I think of myself walking, I could see myself walking and running. But I, what I realized that moment was I had forgotten how to walk. I didn't even know you could forget how to walk. So I would pick up my leg one at a time and try to mimic the walking until I had to relearn how to walk again. And then slowly, once I started walking like that, then I left the rails and I started walking with the walker and then eventually moved to a cane and eventually moved to, you know, one crutch and eventually walking on my own. And then I started to think, OK, I have to learn how to walk backwards and then forwards together. Then I have to learn how to walk with my eyes closed, something a lot of people take for granted. You know, I would be at night trying to change my shirt or get into my pajamas and it's dark and and I couldn't walk in the dark because I would lose my balance so I had to learn all this stuff and it took me 15 years to be able to get to a place where I could run so 15 years so that was like a huge obstacle for me that I had to overcome so let me tell you how I overcame that if somebody told me when I was injured listen Maya it's going to take you 15 years and over 100 surgeries for you to learn how to run again, I would have been overwhelmed. It's too much to think. And I think that's what a lot of people, when they're faced with obstacles, they're thinking, oh, my God, look at this whole huge big road I have to take in order to get there. And that becomes overwhelming to anyone, and it feels like, oh, my God, I can't do it. But what I did is I never thought about the end goal. I just knew I had this dream of running. It was in the back of my mind, and I didn't overburden myself with it. What I did is I broke it down into small little steps, and I would conquer each one of those little steps, and that was a victory for me. When I stood up, it was a victory. When I made a first step in those rails, it was a victory. When I took an an actual step with, with the walker, it was a huge victory, and so on with, with the cane and the crutches and everything. It was all victories. I remember saying to myself, all I had to do was make 10 steps and not fall down, and I did. It was this all triumph. So my road to overcome the biggest obstacle in my life, which is to learn to, to run, was really paved and filled with the lots of little victories because I had broken that big goal down into small, very small, manageable bite side steps, which I was able to work for and then overcome. And then one day, 15 years later, I turned around and I thought, wow, I'm running. And that's what I think people need to do is take whatever the goal is, no matter how big it is, break it down into smallest pieces possible and work on those pieces, and eventually you will get there. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So again, I keep hearing this this constant theme throughout everything you're telling me, even though it's you know three different subjects you covered, it's all about this positive perspective 
And from what I gather, even this this huge obstacle of learning to run again, thinking about all of the stuff you had to go through and to get to the point where you can run again, 15 years, but throughout that process, you still kept a positive perspective and you gained momentum by just looking at the positive. You looked at all these little things you were doing as making a another step, making another success, winning another small victory, winning another battle. And being able to do that, you created this, this positive momentum that carried on all throughout that 15 years of what it sounds like. Absolutely, Mike. The, 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 Positivity and the positive perspective, it's one of my most important keynotes that I that I speak about because it is the underlying, the foundation, the base of being a human. And that carries me through. I don't care what situation you put me in right now. I am programmed to think positively. It's after a while when you start doing it, it's very difficult at the beginning, especially if you're negative Nancy, but Watch your while when you start doing it. You program your mind to think positively, and no matter what situation you're going to be placed in, you will find a way out. And the more you do it, it actually becomes a little bit fun. That's why people like me, I myself, I love challenges. I love when I'm faced with a problem, with an issue, with an obstacle, because because I know I'll solve it, and I know what it feels like to actually be on the other side and then benefit and the endorphins of actually being able to reach that goal that you thought was impossible. So uh, to me, it's, it's a lot of fun and it all comes as a base, as a foundation of what it means to be a human, which is being positive, being nice, because that's what we strive on. Well, so let me ask you this then. Um, I wanted to quickly go into one more topic, but before we do that, I, I wanted to key in on something you just said there. So you said you're programmed to think positively and that people, you know, they can kind of program themselves to be negative and that they can reprogram themselves to think positively. Do you think, because I, I talk about this all the time about organizations and system behavior, about having a strength-based system or a positively focused system so we quit dwelling on the deficit. Do you think that what you just said also applies to companies and organizations and communities? Can we grow as groups of humans to think positively? Oh, absolutely, Mike. I mean, organizations and, and, and communities in businesses, I mean, organization, community, business, those are just words. Those are just basically three different terms that describe three different human interactions and situations. At the end of the day, in all of these three areas, whether it's a business or a community or an organization that's huge, what you have is human interactions. And if you set up human interactions and the culture in that organization or community as a negative one, that is the result that you're going to focus your company on and everybody. And that's what's going to be your company culture. That's why companies like Google, who are, uh, you know, who are sort of modern companies, they're more interested in the culture. That's why they have ping pong tables and and, and, and pool tables and fun stuff and they don't have offices and you can show up in a t-shirt because they are they realize the benefit of human relationships because those human relationships build the culture of the entire company which results later into profits well that's wonderful to to hear because i think a lot of people listening when they hear you talk about it they're thinking, okay, she went through all this as an individual. Does she just have more heart than everybody else? Is she just somebody that's special that was blessed with this way of thinking? And what I hear you saying is, based on your experience, I mean, you talk to organizations all over the world. And from what you're telling me, you do believe, and I assume you have seen, that companies, because they're made up of human beings, because they're made up of people, can get the same thing that some people get, this negative view but that it is something they can attain is this positive view that what they what they vision, what they view, what they perceive is what actually comes back to the organization or comes back to the system. Absolutely. There's absolutely nothing special about me. If 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 I were to pass out tomorrow, 
at uh, and 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 I for whatever reason have died, and they do a, a you know cut me you know open. I will be no different than any other human being in this world. So we all have this potential of reaching really high success, um, really positive attitude and enlightenment that everyone else in the world does. We all, all we all are really the same. That includes me. There's nothing special about me that makes me special. And here I am now looking at everything positively. So since we're all equal, we're all the same. That's really what applies to no matter what organization you're in. It's what you said and how your people act and behave and develop. That's really how your company is going to be run. It's really that simple because on paper is not what sells. It, your company and name, organization and things like that, it, it's not what's going to do it. It's your employees. They're going to, their relationship, they're going to be the one addressing the customers and so on and so on. So it's up to us to decide what do we want in our organizations and our culture culture to be and based on what that is we need to pursue forward great and again i i really appreciate what you're saying here and so i just wanted to cover one last topic before we let you go on with your busy day and that is your third keynote which is basically innovation and technology but because of the direction this this conversation has gone so far I looked at it, and I know that the innovation technology keynote is about the the prosthetic uh, process you went through to get your get your replacement leg, basically, and swimming with a, a dolphin that had a prosthetic tail, and your your pet dog that had a prosthetic leg, and all of that. But what the way I'd like to hit it is through that whole process, through the innovation and technology. Yes, innovation and technology is important, and we see it all around us today. But I'm a person that really talks about the fact that, hey, we haven't really evolved as the animals that we are, even though technology has changed with social media and cars and phones and computers and all this stuff we have. But through that process, through the the innovation technology that you saw and how it affects our daily lives, how did that experience affect what you still think about human systems. Have we evolved since we were hunters and gatherers and our ancestors lived in caves and made fires? Have we evolved from there or is the technology still dependent on these relationships you were talking about? Yeah, that's a really fascinating topic, actually. I, I love the question and I love the topic. Personally, um, I think we have a little bit too much technology that we can handle. Um, I think it's nice. I think it's lovely. Technology has saved my life, literally, on multiple occasions, uh, from surgeries to my prosthetic leg and, and my dog, who also is an amputee, Great Dane. So the technology is a huge part of my life. Not only that, but after graduating college and my first job, I started my own technology firm, software development company, which was extremely successful and I, it was really my bread and butter for almost a decade. So technology is a huge part of my life. But I am worried that in this day and age, we are uh, concentrating a lot more on technology than we are on human relationships. Human, our human relationships are suffering and our technology is improving. And unfortunately, in order to get the biggest benefit of technology, we need to have really good uh, human relationships if that makes sense it totally does I, I again i'm a believer in human systems and how people behave and that how we're good at that that system one thinking the the kind of quick thinking that we deal with on an emotional level and that sort of thing and technology can only get us so far but i love how you said that to get the biggest benefit of all this technology and how far we have come in the last few decades we need to have human interaction, that we need to build these relationships. And based on what you said before, it sounds like we need to build these relationships in a positive way and build that positive outlook, this way of being of being programmed as, as human beings in groups, of being programmed to think, even when bad things happen, to think in a positive way. Absolutely. I, I, I'll give you one example of, of technology it's it's how i got how i got into technology in the world of it and so on it was it was actually 90 95 so i came to united states in 1993 
two years later, I was able to bring my parents in 1995. We settled in Western Maryland. And during that time, this was right at the beginning when the computers started to come out and hit the public in 1995. And my family, due to genocide, was spread all around the world. I have family in Germany, Norway, Sweden, Australia, you name it. Pretty much every country around the glo globe, Canada, we I have family members. And during this time, uh, we had telephones and obviously not cell phones and no international plans. And international plans were very expensive. And in order to call Bosnia or Germany or Australia, it was like three, four dollars a minute. And we couldn't we couldn't really afford that. So my mom and I, we had gone down to Sears and purchased on a Sears credit card this like thirty eight hundred dollars computer. And what I realized was that um, I started making websites and playing with a little bit. And what I realized was I would put pictures and all of our family information and the latest stuff. I would put it online and I would call my families in Norway or Sweden, wherever they were. And I would tell them, hey, go to this website, look at it and you'll see the pictures and we'll let you know what's going on. It was a way for me to transfer information without having to pay $5 per minute, right? And not only that, but they were had a benefit of seeing pictures. So to me, that was a perfect example where technology was helping connect us, keep my family together and build those strong relationships. And that happened because I had extremely close ties with my family. Uh, but at the same time, if you look at Facebook these days, it was it's used as a crutch to actually Actually keep people apart you know you don't call your kids anymore because you just look up on Facebook what they're doing you know or your kids don't call you because you look up on Facebook so the same type of technology is basically used to not now get us closer together but really to make us further apart because you've seen something on Facebook and you log off and you haven't even talked to your kids in three months and that to me is the danger of where technology is going is that we are losing our human relationships, which are crucial to our happiness and existence. What I'm hearing is the technology is good. It could be useful, but it's still got to have that positive core based on human relationships, based on real connections and emotions rather than because, I mean, even if you look at Twitter, right, some people can get a whole bunch of uh, shares and likes and all that stuff, but it may just be a, a retweeted bot or something like that. It may just be uh, artificial intelligence sending that out, but the strength and the power and the benefit of those technologies, from what I hear you saying, is still rooted in that common background of human beings needing other human beings, needing that, that connection, the feeling, the emotion. Absolutely. I, if you look at my Instagram account, the biggest hits that I will have are on my Instagram accounts are going to be posts that are made where I am actually speaking to, to my audience, to my followers as human beings, and, and I'm developing a relationship with them. I'm telling them how I feel and I'm trying to help them out. And that's really what that's really what we strive on. That's really what we what makes us human and what makes us good and it helps us grow. And that's what people love is that feeling connected, feeling that somebody understands us. If you look at what happened with Kate Spain and Anthony Bourdain, I mean, those, those people have how many followers on our social media, they have access to all their technology, but even in all of that stuff, they felt alone. They felt so alone that they didn't have a reason to live for. They didn't have someone that they could say, I'm going to live, even though this life is hard for me, I'm going to live for this one person, for this one relationship. They didn't have anybody to hang on to. So to me, it's, it's, it's not how rich you are. It's not how many followers you have. It's not about the technology. It's about quality of our relationship that we have developed as human beings, which makes this life so rich. Well, I think with that, that's going to be hard to top. Um, I think that is a perfect place for us to kind of close out this conversation just because of the fact that we've talked about so much. We've talked about how as an individual you can use positivity and your perce perception on the situation you're in to actually drive positive behavior. We've talked about how 
human relationships are so important no matter what you're dealing with and ending it on the note that, hey, we have all this technology and we can connect around the world in microseconds, but it really comes down to the human connection. It doesn't matter if I'm here and you're in Florida or you're talking to somebody in Bosnia or somebody in China. It really comes down to, it doesn't matter where that person is or the culture of the country, it really comes down to they still need to feel connected to another person. Absolutely. Well, with that, uh, all I can do is say thank you so much, Maya. It has been an absolute uh, joy and even a humbling experience talking to you. Uh, It is clear to me, crystal clear to me, that there is a lot you can offer people, you can offer groups, you can offer organizations. So having said that, how can people get in touch with you and what can you offer all these people? I know they're listening. They're like, we can get more of Maya. We know she can help. How do they get in touch with you? How do you how do you like people to connect with you? Uh, well, I am obviously I have a website, so it's mayakazazic.com, or you can just simply go to mayaspeaks.com. Um, just because my last name is is just so over overwhelming. But it, as you mentioned earlier, it's Maya spelled with a J, M-A-J-A, speaks.com. Uh, you can check out my website. I have a blog there. I actually posted something on the blog today. And um, you can also check me out on Instagram, Instagram and Facebook. Those are the places you can get in touch with me. I love helping people. I love speaking at organizations and events. Please feel free to reach out any way I can help. It's really my purpose, my destiny is the reason why I'm here. So don't be afraid. Just reach out. Well, I think there's a lot of folks out there that will probably take you up on that. So rather than anybody out there trying to write down uh, feverishly how to get in touch with her, I will post everything on the show notes. So I'll post her website, her Maya Speaks website, um, Instagram, and um, her Facebook account. I'll put links to all that so you guys can go there and you can connect with Maya. Again, Maya, thank you so much. It has been absolutely great learning experience for me. Um, everything you've said resonates, and I've actually learned a ton from you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Please stay in touch. Uh, please reach out if you ever need anything. And speaking on behalf, I think of everybody listening, we appreciate everything you went through and the fact that you're using it to, for the betterment of everybody else is, is wonderful. And I really, really thank you for being, for being a guest. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. It's really been a pleasure. And anytime you want me back on, I'm happy. Thank you so much. Okay, so what did you think of that episode? I thought it was an insightful and humbling episode. I'm really grateful that I had this opportunity to talk to Maya, and I hope you got a lot out of it because I know I did. I would love it if you could subscribe to the podcast and give it a good rating. I really enjoy talking about human behavior and decision-making. So if your organization or you personally would like to talk about anything on the Crucial Talks podcast, please feel free to reach out to me by visiting www.crucialtalks.com. On the site, you can subscribe for some free content, and you can reach me via email or through any of my social media accounts. Have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.